Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, this is Sarah Merrick with the Church Times book podcast. I'm in conversation today with Richard Lamy and we're going to be talking about the book we've chosen as this month's book club title. And the book is Two Storm Wood by Philip Gray. It's a book about the aftermath of World War I and was chosen for November with Remembrance Sunday in mind. And Richard, could you start, please, just by telling us a little bit about the story? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So it's 1919, some months after the war's ended. There are companies of soldiers and workmen trying to clear the battlefields of munitions and trying to restore the land and also trying to recover as many bodies as they can. And into the middle of that comes Amy, whose fiancé disappeared in the last weeks of the war, and she needs to find him and lay him to rest and give him a headstone. And so she's travelled out from a comfortable life in England to try and find his body and bury him properly. And we should say from the beginning that the novel is, or aspects of the novel are, are pretty dark, and it's been described as by one reviewer as a quite terrifying literary thriller. And another wrote that it was that most wonderful of creations, a novel that informs while keeping you on the edge of your seat. And I wonder if you agree with those assessments of it. There's almost two books together, I think, isn't there? There's really, really well-researched, well-written, just terrifying view of this landscape with the odd stump of tree, but... You can't leave the road because it hasn't been cleared yet. Uh, people do get blown up by um, booby traps and farmers are, are killed. Um, and it's featureless, um, it's bloodstained. And that really kind of comes off the page, I think, in the way uh, Philip Gray writes. That is, is incredibly well researched and incredibly well written. You are kind of immersed in this terrifying post-war uh, landscape that's still completely shaped by war. But then there's also this kind of detective murder mystery um there's the discovery of a particular atrocity in the midst of the great atrocity of the first world war and there's this um great attempt to find out who's responsible what happened running alongside the main story as it were so there's almost two different books working at the same time and some of the scenes particularly i think of that murder scene and some of the post-mortems afterwards trying to identify bodies, which are really, really gruelling. And there's a kind of, I don't know what warnings we can put on this, but you need to be quite strong of stomach to read it, I think. Yes, I mean, it is interesting. I think one of the impressions I have is that in the past, there were some quite romanticised novels about the First World War. And there's absolutely nothing romantic about this. And, and in some ways, for me, although it was gruesome it was slightly refreshing that reminder of actually this is this is you know this it's not sort of people in romantic costumes and uniforms it's this is this is what war is like it's not really new in that sense though is it i mean you read all quite to the western front you read owen's poetry Susan's poetry you read bird song you read uh, the regeneration trilogy we've known for 30 years or so no, we have um, known i i suppose what i mean is i think we still need reminding, although we know. I think we're not romantic about the First World War, but we are romantic about war. Yes, yes, so, yes, I think, I think that's, you know. And there, and there is some romance here in, in the way that Amy 
there's a slight question of how plausible it is that an upper class woman in her early 20s could do everything that she does in the book. But she's absolutely driven by love for Edward, uh, her responsibility for him. And there is something, it's not romantic as such, but there's something very, very human and uh, inspiring about the, the lens her and uh, Captain Mackenzie, who's leading one of the companies of men, and, and all those people trying to lay to rest those who've been lost. So that's not romantic, but it is love. Yes, and it's incredibly honourable, isn't it? Um, but I wanted to ask you about that because it's not just Amy. There's also a friend of hers, Kitty, who um, travels out as well, and they travel together for some of the book. And they show enormous courage in their willingness to step outside the norms of the day. Um, and I wonder, I mean, did, I think you've hinted at this, but did you feel that aspect of the book worked or, or are you a bit unsure about its its plausibility? I think to start with, I wasn't convinced just because it felt so kind of completely out of her comfort zone and how could she survive? But I think the more the book goes on, the more she just she's so single minded, committed, willing to pay money, willing to take risks. She has to do this. Mm-hmm. I did find it compelling the further it went on, in a sense. She wasn't there for the weekend. Yes. Um, She was there until the job was done. Yes, and she does have money, as you mentioned, but she she also has connections that she makes real use of. Um, So she's kind of very smart in that way, isn't she, Um, to to kind of get to where she needs to get to. And it's a very kind of protective... Mm -hmm. All all of the soldiers she meets are aware that she's completely out of place and very protective of her as well. Uh, which I think feels quite possible. So no, I, I was convinced by that in the end, definitely. Yeah. Yes. She's such a good character, isn't she? Yes, yeah. I think just beautifully drawn. Um, you understand her motivations, you understand something of the world she's coming from, the decisions she's made, why she's made the decisions and why she has to do this. Um, yes, and just a reminder, so find... yeah, I mean, for me, it was a reminder of of what it what it's like, was like for our great-grandparents the the limit the limited choices women had really at that time that for me was actually was very touching the fact that she would love to have been she'd love to have been a doctor and she just can't you know she's just not able to do that um because of this very very narrow um expectations of you know of her upbringing um which she does sort of break free of a bit I wanted to pick up a particular phrase you used on in your description, in your introductory essay. You wrote, it is an immersive experience into a ruined emotional landscape within a ruined physical landscape. I thought that was a lovely phrase. And I wondered if you could sort of talk a little bit more about that. The, the problem with discussing anything that's a kind of murder mystery is hot spoilers. And so I'm, I'm going to try really, really hard not to say anything. I think I was just struck by how every single character in the book, whether or not they fought in the army, whether they were at home in England, whether they were living in France at the time and it's their farmland that's been destroyed, whether they've come over from China, um, there's a large workforce come over, I think that's not a spoiler. Everyone has been shaped by the last four years completely by what they've seen, by what's happened, by what they've done. And they kind of belong in the landscape and as they try and restore the landscape, they're trying to restore themselves, I think. Mm-hmm. So out of so as the kind of land is cleared and the farmers return, there's a sense of them being able to return to something of what their life was before mm-hmm. uh, as well. So not utterly ruined, but ruined. Yes, yes. There is still an element of hope that the land will return and the bodies will be found, or certainly a good number of the bodies will be found, and um, they have a chance to 
return to life in some form once this job's been done. Yes. So you've already touched on the fact that um, the the author has done a lot of research and it's inspired by um, him finding his grandfather's trench maps and notes. In fact, he writes, the novel stands as a small tribute to him, a man I hardly knew, but whose determination not to be forgotten, to leave something behind, still echoes in the minds of his descendants a hundred years on. And I just wonder how successfully you think the author creates a story out of all that research. I think obviously the murder mystery bit is entirely a conceit. Um, but I, I think the, the trench map thing is really key, isn't it? Because Amy gets given a trench map, which allows her to try and get closer and closer to where uh, Edward may have been um, killed, uh, or where his body may be. And I suppose that sense of unknowing is quite key as well, isn't it? That um, Philip Gray doesn't know what his grandfather went through entirely. He's got these war diaries and he's got uh, the trench maps. But you can't, there's an attempt to imagine what it might have been like for the survivors, which is really, really clear in the in the novel as well. So I think it works both as a kind of building on the trench maps uh, that Amy then needs to find the body, but also it works as a kind of imaginative attempt to try and imagine what it would have been like to survive yeah. and to then live the rest of his life, a very long life, with all those memories kind of shut away in the, in the chest with the war diaries and the trench maps, I suppose. Yes, and there's something about um, the maps and the fact there's a map on the inside of my cover, which I actually didn't find very helpful. And I found myself thinking that's interesting because there's a whole sort of sense of displacement, of not being sure where things are. And presumably, I mean, that is part of what happens to the landscape, isn't it? It gets so damaged and blown up that you could, you've no, no longer got any landmarks. And I found that quite um, disorientating in quite a sort of um, evocative way, I think I'd say. Got a map. I want to. Oh, right. <laughs> no, in the hardback you've got it's a map, map, but it's really not very useful. Um, so you, you're not missing out on a lot. It's almost like the, the gaps. There's nothing in the gaps, is there? There is this town and this town, and a safe road to get from one to the other. Yeah. But there's a sense of oh yeah, that wood was over there, but there's nothing left, or that farm was there, there's nothing left, or yes. it's all about the trench lines and about the um, dugouts. It's not about what was there before the villages and the towns and the farms that the people lived a new in 1913. Mm -hmm. And of course, it was during the First World War that the term shell shock was first coined. And we know a lot more now, you know, 100 years later, more than that, about PTSD than our forebears did. Um, and one of the strong themes within the novel is what war, what trauma um, does to people. Um, I think, of course, it can work both ways. People can be terribly harmed by these experiences. And then there are people who sort of thrive in wartime, and that's morally awkward, to say the least. And there's one character, I think it might be better if we don't name him, but there's one character in the book who's particularly charismatic, who achieves a sort of cult status as a rule breaker, who incites great loyalty. And without giving away any plot spoilers, can we can we talk a bit about him? Were you convinced by that character? Um, I absolutely was. I think it's something we don't really talk about. That sense of someone who is... He's not in, not until enjoying the war, but he's very, very good at it. He's having a good war, um, isn't he, somehow? He, he's having a good war. Um, he's incredibly good at planning, choosing, kind of choosing when to be defiant to his superiors and when to actually, and the men just absolutely love him. He trains them well, he cares for them. Um, you can almost imagine him as um, the captain of um, a ship in Nelson's Navy, in a sense, a sense of, 
my 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 um my unit is everything. Uh, I will see you safe home. We will do everything we possibly can. And um, and it has tipped over in some ways into a kind of personality cult that um, the men have bought into it so completely, or some of them have. Um, loyalty to him is everything, even more than loyalty to the king or loyalty to the, the army. But there's a question of what happens after the war. How do you go back to mm. your commute as a stockbroker? How do you go back to... And I think a lot of people did go out to be farmers in parts of British Empire at the time, or it's very hard to return after that, I suspect. Mm, mm, mm. But I did find, yeah, it's not something we talk about very often, that sense of someone who is just completely, just completely um, the right man in the right place to do the right job. It's, um, it's tricky, isn't it? It is tricky. It's not straightforward, um, I think, that when that happens. But it's, I think what's really striking is that sense of it's just the unit. Mm, mm. Um, the, the Germans don't matter. The generals don't matter. The neighbouring unit doesn't matter. We are our own family, and I will do everything for you, and I will keep you safe. Yes. Um, and there's a couple of scenes, isn't there, where there is actually, yeah, he, he appears in a particular way as an almost messianic figure. But then the flip side of that is when his, when his motives align with that of the nation or the general, that's super, and he's an absolute hero, yeah. Um, medals, mention dispatches, everything else. But when his loyalties don't or interests don't align with that of the wider war effort, then that's a massive problem. Yes. yes. And we don't know what to do about it. And it's really, yeah, really striking. It's one of the most interesting dilemmas in the book, I think, for me. Um, and then, of course, there are other people who... Um, make very difficult decisions and try to behave with moral integrity in almost impossible circumstances. Um, and again, without wanting to give anything away, do you, does the novel give us grounds for optimism, do you think, for the future of characters who have fallen into the, this category, the ones who've tried really hard to be good, in inverted commas? Do you think, do you think we can be optimistic about the future reintegration into society or not? But there are a lot of people in the book, aren't there? And some of them just kind of come in and go away again. So it's hard to know. Uh, you definitely hope that there's optimism and hope. Um, yeah. It's particularly for, yeah, again, we can't really do names, can we? But I think there's a few, there are definitely people there who are just motivated by duty and humanity. And I'm certainly optimistic for their future because the records show that most people did come back from the First World War and live. Yes. Yes, yes, still haunted. Yes, still um, perhaps having nightmares. But most people, most people came home yes. and fell in love, had families, held down jobs. Got on with life. Some, yeah. And died sometime in the 1960s or 70s. Yeah. So and then there is optimism. And yes, I suppose I'm thinking about my great grandfather who did exactly that. So I suppose in terms of my own family history, you kind of imagine... Um, them going through some of these things and some of his stories that I know vaguely about were really grim but he was you know I never met him he died before I was born but to my dad mm. he was just this really really lovely old man who looked after him and was good fun and bounced on his knee and everything so there's that sense of we are quite resilient people aren't we in general yes which is um, interesting because of course there was no sort of therapy offered really was there to people coming back from the first world war i think now when soldiers come back from conflict there is at least some understanding that they might need some some kind of help to reintegrate there was none of that um you just had to kind of buckle down and get on with it my pet theory and i'm not a psychologist at all was that there's something about was well, something about society in the 1920s which meant you 
you didn't talk about it, but also yeah. the whole the whole of Europe and the whole of the nation had gone through the same trauma. And so I think I suspect there's a level of understanding and support within communities yeah. uh, as well. That you didn't talk about it, but you knew that other people had been yeah. on the same journey and yeah. yes. a similar tragedy if you were bereaved or uh, wounded or just had memories. Yes, yes. I think that's true. I think the shared experience makes a, a, a very big difference. Now, in the book, there are moral dilemmas and issues of forgiveness, but I thought there was not much evidence of, of religious faith. And I wondered um, if that was an oversight, given the sort of culture of the time and this kind of practice of church going, there's not much discussion in terms of of kind of a faith or judgment of God. I don't know. Did, did you feel that was a missing element? I, I kind of need to think a bit more about it. I mean, perhaps we can do that now. But there are two. So at the start, I think it's OK to say that Amy and Ed would meet in a college chapel. Yes. And he's um, he's a, a, a musician who, who plays the organ and encourages her to play the organ in a way that women weren't really meant to do in 1916 uh, or 17. So they meet in a chapel and then there's um, a, a grim post-mortem later on that happens in the chapel of a, a cemetery in, in France. So I was really struck by the fact that the two kind of key moments in the book happen in religious buildings. And there's something about wanting a proper burial, which is also feels quite mm. kind of uh, Christian as well. But there's no, there's definitely no, no prayers, no sense of God in this book. But it might have felt a bit forced, mm. I think, in a way. No, that's interesting. And I wonder, Richard, about how reading this book um, in the last couple of weeks during the escalating conflict in Israel-Palestine, did that have any effect on your reading um, of the book? Um, y yes, um, and Ukraine and, and, and Russia as well. And that sense of how fragile bodies are, I think. Mm -hmm. and how damaged we are by the things that are happening that we always move on but this was I think reading this book in the context of videos from Israel and then videos from Gaza and the fact that you then kind of there's that painful disjunction isn't it between that and then going back to daily life and you know a very peaceful scene out my window uh, I think that's really hard but that sense of just how fragile we are and how easy flesh yeah. shatters yeah. and how we can disappear Yes. And there's something, isn't there, about the taking of hostages into tunnels in a foreign country. There's something there of disappearance as well, isn't there, under the ground. So I think the whole thing is, is really evocative of, of both. And the fact that we're 104 years later. and Yeah, yes. And, a, there is underground, isn't there, in the book as well. That's yes. a, bad things happen underground. And that's, that's the blitz, that's tunnels, that's trenches, that's dugouts, that's... And I, I think he's very, um, that's very evocative. I feel sort of slightly, you know, I can feel that sense of claustrophobia with the underground thing. Um, and I suppose there's that fear of, of burial, as there always is in war, but particularly was in the trenches. And again, this sort of bleakness of the landscape that you've already discussed, it's all there. Um, but yes, it. I, and I suppose the other thing that struck me was even just this week, narrative and counter-narrative. I mean, whoever really knows what goes on in a war, um, that's that's another thing. There are always going to be competing versions. And I think that is that is in this book as well, isn't it? There are different stories about what's happened um, yes. and a lack of clarity. And of course, Amy is desperate to, to, to find clarity. Um, 
and we discover during the book that unsurprisingly partly because it's a novel to provide plot but people tell her untruths you know things things are not are not what they seem are they um she's constantly sort of groping towards the truth and sometimes people tell the truth and she doesn't realize it yes that's well it's really intriguing and he is remarkably good at setting up kind of anxiety yes sort of kind of you know something bad's about to happen but you have to turn the page and he's he runs three different narratives at different times doesn't he yeah. and then there are letters and um you have to really focus on whose memory is this and who's telling this and who should yes. we listen to yes um, and there is more than one twist at the end i think we can say just when you think you know where you're going you've turned the final page and there's another there's another twist um so there's quite a lot of i mean he's quite clever in the way he he's sort of set out his plot that you've hinted at something. The next question I wanted to ask was um, my final question about this book. You write about being a book you struggle to put down and you struggle to forget. And I wonder what are the aspects of the novel that have stayed with you? What have you find yourself found yourself mulling on um, since you put it down? I think there are a few set pieces in there which are really, really good. So there's a description of a trench raid, um, which is just... You know, some of the best stuff I've read in ages because it's so intense and so kind of sucks you in. And then there's a twist at the end of that even. And then it comes into. So it stands on its own. But then what comes afterwards is really important as well. And I think I think Amy Mm. um, has has stuck with me. I think um, her attempt to break away from a very cloistered and claustrophobic. She she escapes one form of claustrophobia for another. Yes. uh, In the middle of this landscape. Well, some of the slightly minor characters as well, I really, really think you really hope that they end up well. You don't necessarily know where they end up. You really, really hope they end up well. Um, The fact fact that one cares is a tribute to the novelist, I think. If you care about the characters, that's what, you know, yeah, I agree with you entirely. I think perhaps less. I kind of almost, nobody would read a book describing in detail um, how these companies of men work to clear the musicians and rediscover the bodies, identify the bodies. And you don't want too much detail because it's obviously a really horrific, traumatising experience for them. But that whole thing is just really fascinating. You see these tidy Commonwealth war graves mm. now, mm. these um, cemeteries with, with some Germans buried in them as well. And that's that's in itself an interesting uh, insight. But, but the kind of how you get from there backwards into these people going round trying to work out whose body whose bodies are where and whose bodies kind of work out who it is yeah yes um so i I think really his scene of just a completely shattered landscape and when you go back now and visit some of these places you do often get a kind of haunting sense of uh, of of what happened there at bowman hamill i think in particular where the newfoundlanders were completely destroyed um but it still feels quite kind of clean and well kept tidy yes and so this this is um really powerful for that reason, I think, just to realise what was left behind in 1919, which goes back to the trench maps and yeah, yes. back to his grandfather, I think. I think, yeah, yeah it's, not a, it's not a comfortable read, it's not an easy read, but it is um, very well done and it's very, um, I think it is very memorable. Yes, yeah. yeah and Both the characters, but mostly for the landscape, I think. Yeah, yes, I agree. So we've been discussing Two Stormwood by Philip Gray and you can read Richard's introductory essay and some questions for discussion in the Church Times and online. And finally, Richard, could you recommend something else you've read recently that you think our readers might enjoy? I'll have to. Go on. Okay, so I don't many people don't think many people know uh, River of Darkness by Rennie F. A-I-R-T-H. 
I think he's a South African uh, journalist, which, which again, Philip Rowe is a journalist, interestingly. Um, I was thinking about books around trauma, 1920s, what happens after war. This turns out to be a trilogy in the end, but the first book uh, is set in about 19, early 20, 1920s, and there's a pretty horrific um, murder in a small Surrey village. And it's the story of um, a manhunt, trying to work out what's happened. Uh, the detective who's brought down from London is just really engaging. There's a lovely, um, kind of charismatic, um, caring female GP in the village. And it is really evocative at the time, but it's also just a beautifully told detective story that leads to um, a manhunt. And you really care about the characters. And I think it's just beautifully written. And if I talk really fast, can I add in uh, <laughs> To Serve Them All My Days by R.F. Delderfield, which is a book I think more people will know. Delderfield's not very fashionable uh, anymore, but he, he writes great um, sweeping narratives around, th there's about three books around um, uh, a family who run um, a transport business, The Swans. But To Serve Them All My Days is basically the story of um, a survivor who's invalided out in 1917 from the trenches, uh, goes to... Um, teach at a boarding school in very rural Devon. And it's his kind of life story and the changes in society. And then it leads into the Second World War. So he has to go through losing people again, the people he's taught. But there's some really beautiful bits in here. I really remember him talking as um, a young man who's been invalided out to uh, a boy whose uh, father's just been killed uh, in 1918 and trying to comfort him. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've not read it for a few months, but I can remember him saying, um, if he says killed, it means killed. He wouldn't have suffered, it means killed. It's just that really kind of pastoral, engaging kindness, even in the midst of war. So, yes, to serve them all my days and uh, River of Darkness. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you. Uh, it's been very good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.